0: It's good to be here this morning and it's good to be continuing on, uh, at least reaching the end or close to the end of our summer, ser- summer sermon series, in The Kingdom of God. And if you will, will recall, over the course of the summer, we've, we've heard sermons on the King of the Kingdom, Jesus Christ. We've talked about the nature of the kingdom, the, the already, the not yet, the, um, the preliminary form that we are experiencing now, looking forward to the, the permanent form of the kingdom. And we've talked about what it means to live in the kingdom, kingdom life, obedience in the kingdom. This morning, we're going to talk about kingdom consummation. We're going to talk about the final kingdom. And the reason that this is important and the reason that we are ending on this in this way is that everything that we've talked about coming up to this point the king of the kingdom the nature of the kingdom uh, what it means to live in the kingdom everything that we've talked about is all pointing to what it is we are going to experience when Jesus Christ comes back so so. The way we've defined the kingdom of God, it's, it, it's His redemptive, His renewing rule and reign in our hearts, actively present among us here as God's people even, on display to the world. Um, that, those things that we have been talking about, they will come fully in the days to come. God has promised That what it is that we are yearning for as His people, He will bring to fruition. And that's simply what we're going to read about this morning from Revelation chapter 21. I think a, a relatively familiar passage, but we're going to look at it. We're going to try to put some substance to it. Um, to engage our hearts and minds so that we know that we, what we have to look forward to. So if you would, turn in your bulletins or open up your Bibles. Let's read together these eight or nine verses from Revelation 21, uh, from God's Word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. And the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end... Pray with me. Father, we do thank you for your word, the promise of uh, hearing your word, the promise that you have given us, uh, that you promised that it would not return void, that it will bring about its intended consequences, its intended results, and we can trust you. So I pray this morning as we look at this passage, as we think about our future, as we Um, engage it in light of what we're called to do here on this earth now I pray that you would just bless us with your presence that by faith we would see you and that we'd recognize your love, your beauty and your power and that you would even now change us, conform us to the image of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen so heaven or to be more precise, a new heaven and a new earth. So I was, I was thinking about heaven. I was thinking about the new heavens, the new earth. I, I realized that we, we think about heaven in terms of sort, certain categories or ideas, and we express those categories, ideas, uh, with the questions that we ask about what heaven will be like, don't we? We ask questions like, What will we do there? Where will we live? Who will we live with? How old will we be? Right? Will it be the 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 twenty-eight-year-old Todd Lowry? Or this one? Will I will I have my dog? Right? I like dogs. Those are not unimportant questions. They're interesting, and they're fun, and I think we should ask those questions as long as we realize that those questions really do miss the point. Because the point of heaven, and the new heavens, and the new earth, the point of heaven is the presence of God in a new way that will change everything. Everything else that you think about, everything else will miss the mark if you forget about the presence of God because God is the one who makes heaven, heaven. It will be totally new. This morning what I want us to do is look at three different ideas or or three different concepts that are presented in this passage here that will help us better understand what heaven will be like. First of all, I want us to see that it is a brand new kind of place to belong. Secondly, there is a special power for life in this new place to belong. And then lastly, it will be forever. It is an eternal inheritance. It's an eternal legacy that can never be taken away from us. It's all in this passage. But as we we consider the particulars of this passage, I want to encourage you. As we look at what John says here in these eight verses, I hope that we will see concrete, substantial, particular things uh, that will not only change your idea about what our future is going to be like, but they will be of such substance that it will help you live in light of that in the here and now. let's look at this. A new place to belong. John begins in verse 1 and he says I saw literally with his eyes a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is a new place to live, and, and let me explain it like this. For those of you that are familiar with the King James Version, I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the, the King James Version. I know some of you are. But in John chapter 14, when Jesus is uh, explaining to his disciples how he is going to have to leave, how he is going to have to die, and how he will um, be resurrected and ascended into heaven... He says these things to his disciples in the King James Version. He says, let let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. Because in my Father's house are many mansions. And I go there to prepare a place for you. Now, I hate to break it to you, but the Greek word, it's not mansion. It's a dwelling place. It is a room. Granted, it is a real quality, new type of room, but don't get caught up in the idea of a house. Jesus uses the same word later when he says, We will come to you and make a home for you. That's the word. When Jesus speaks about our future with him, he's not talking about a big house. He's talking about a home together. He's talking about a place to be. He's talking about a permanent residence. And what he's saying is this is a a whole new type of home. It's what John is speaking of here. It's a new kind of place where we are going to live because the old is passing away and a new thing is coming. It's a total transformation of what you know and understand here on this earth. It's a place to belong. It's a place to inhabit. It's a place of comfort. It's a place of peace. And everybody here knows that there's a big difference between having a house and having a home. Don't you? I mean, one of the things that I love about my wife, one of the things that I think many of you will be able to identify with is something that's been hard for her in the ministry is the amount of times that we've had to move. It's not because... We had to move to a new house. It's because it's hard to make a home. A home is a place where you can just be. A home is a place where you can just be you and it's okay. John says, this place is going to be so good that there will be no sea. the good news is that doesn't mean there won't be any beaches. Sea in Revelation, really in the entire Bible, the sea is a place of chaos. The sea is murky. You don't know what's underneath. You're afraid. You can't see everything that's going on. And there will be none of this in our new home. There will be none of this in our new place where we are going to belong, where we are able to just be who we are. It's going to be so different in quality from what we know here that John describes it with two different metaphors. He describes it first as a holy city, a new Jerusalem, and then he describes it as a bride adorned for her husband. So first of all, it's a holy city. It's a new Jerusalem. It's, it's very similar to, to what Isaiah was prophesying in the Old Testament. He told God's people to look forward to the day when a Messiah would come because he was going to rebuild their city. He was going to rebuild their place of safety. He was going to rebuild their homes. And the reason why he had to rebuild them is because the Babylonians came in and plundered them and ruined them. And they were looking forward to a new place to live. So John in Revelation builds on what Isaiah says. And he says it's going to be a new Jerusalem. In other words, it's going to be a place of community life and activity. It's going to be a place where you interact with other human beings. It's it's gonna be a place like when these guys come over here and they come up, or we go sit and eat lunch with them. We're all gonna get together and we're gonna we're we're gonna be able to pronounce their names. Right? We're gonna enjoy each other's fellowship and company. It's a place where we're going to work, where we're going to play, where we're going to build, and we're going to enjoy. It is a community. A real place, bustling with real activity, holy, good activity. So New Jerusalem, it's a new community, it's a new place to live with other people. And it is real, it is physical, it is solid. Not only that, John says, it will be like a bride adorned for her husband. In other words, it will be a place of intimate love, a a place where you will be totally accepted and you'll be full of excitement even as the bride and groom are excited on the day of their wedding. So um, imagine it this way. And you'll have to imagine because there, there are none of these here on this earth, but imagine the perfect marriage. Where the man honors the woman and does whatever it takes, even at great cost to himself, so that his bride flourishes, so so that she knows that she is loved and she's the most beautiful woman in the world to that man. Or, or, Or where the woman seeks to honor her husband so that he feels special, he feels unique, that it's great to be this woman's husband, that that everything in the confines of that relationship is perfect. That's the picture here. Realize that's why marriage is so important. We have a new world that's coming and it's a place that is so unique that that John says it's going to be a community, a new city where people are bustling with activity and enjoying one another's company. And not only enjoying one another's company, but they're enjoying one another's company in a way that can only be experienced with complete intimacy and love. It's complete and perfect community life with completed and perfect people. When I was a kid, my mother used to say, oh, it's going to be great to go to heaven because we're going to get to go up to heaven and sing all the time. And I thought that just sounded terrible to me. I love people that can sing, but I'm not one of those people. This is, this is a real place with real people that, that you have this bond with them such that you feel totally safe. And whatever it is you do brings, brings honor to the other person and glory to God. Don't we all want that now? Is that, is that not something that we all yearn for? Do you, do you not realize, if you're familiar with, with the philosophy of ministry at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, that's why we're here, to experience community life with other brothers and sisters in life, and we experience it so powerfully that we can't help but want to take it out there across the street. We experience it so powerfully here that we, that we want to go to Mexico City and we want to go to Bogota. Bogota so that other people can experience what it is that we've just had a taste of here. Paul says, I mean, John says, it's, it's a holy city, a new Jerusalem. It's a, it's a bride adorned for her husband. That's the place that we are going to be. A place to belong. A new home. Doing things where you love And are loved. John says, I see it. It's real. Which leads to the the second idea here. The only way that this can happen, it's because God is there in a new and powerful way. And, And realize, we're not talking about God's omnipresence here, where He's everywhere at all times. We're not talking about that kind of presence We're not even talking about the presence of Christ with us here now by faith. This is something different. This is something new. This is something bigger. This is something better. John hears a loud voice, verses 3 through 5. He hears a loud voice. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and he will be their God. And listen, there will be no more tears. No more death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, because the former things have passed away. And God says, I am making all things new. These words are trustworthy and true. In other words, this is for certain. And realize from the very beginning, as Hal talked about, even as he introduced worship this morning and introduced the Old Testament reading, from the very beginning, this is what God's been all about. Leviticus, God says, I want to make my dwelling among you. I will walk among you. I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And Paul in the New Testament, he picks it up in 2 Corinthians 6. He says, says, God is already doing this in preliminary form, but what John is saying is it's now completed. It's now fulfilled, and God is here. And what makes this complete, this new presence of God with this new power, what makes it complete, what makes it new, what makes it different is that now we will see God face to face in the person of Jesus Christ and we will look on Him with our eyes. We, we, won't, only, we, we won't only see Christ by faith and, and it will be different because He will be with us physically. Physically. See, in God's presence, in the presence of Christ, in this new world, we are no longer weak. We're no longer frail. We're no longer broken. We are strong. We're strong because Christ's strength is so big that it overwhelms us. In God's presence, there will be no way that we can sin. There will be no way that we will have doubts. There will be no way that we could disobey. Because God's presence in this new world brings a transforming power that provides a new life with a new people, in a new world, and yes, we want it now, yes, we can experience now, but it will be different in the days to come. That, that, that's why John says there will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. and Nothing will hinder us from fully enjoying the presence of God in the presence of his people. Do you realize this morning, and I don't know if you all realize this, but every morning at 845 or a couple hours before the worship service or, or before Sunday school, your elders get together upstairs in Hal's office. And the first thing that we did this, this morning together was we prayed for men and women in this congregation who are either dying or dealing with with deathly disease and there was a somberness that came over us because we were not only praying for the people that were suffering but we were praying for the people that loved them who were suffering along with them for grandfathers for fathers for brothers for sisters for children in the presence of Christ in the new world we will never feel or experience that again and yet, we, we even pray with power and a sense of joy in our sadness because we know that God is at work, and it's good. It was good for us to pray. It was powerful for us to pray, and it was meaning for us to pray, and it filled us with all sorts of hope. But as good as it was, it will be so much better. I mean, can, can you, let's, let's look at it this way. Can you imagine this morning... If you would have come to church this morning and everybody in your family woke up on time, not only did they wake up on time, but they woke up happy. And not only um, they woke up happy and they got dressed all by themselves and they did everything that they were supposed to do, but you, you maybe went down to breakfast and you made breakfast and it was a joy to make breakfast because everything happened the way it was supposed to be. And, and even the mess that you made, it was like fun to clean up. No arguments during breakfast and you, you got into the car and you were driving down Atlanta Highway and you hit all the lights just right. And if there was any traffic, they just kind of moved out of your way and you kept going at the right speed. And then when you walked in church, you got out of your car, you walked in the front doors, and you knew that you would be welcomed perfectly, that people would say the the perfect thing to you, just what you needed to hear. You weren't concerned about the way that you looked. You weren't concerned about what you should say or what you shouldn't say. you knew that when you walked in these doors, it was just what you wanted because it was just what you needed. You know what that is? That's the presence of Christ. And if we get a taste of that here, it's because we know that Christ is with us. But in the days that come, we won't even have to think about it. Because it will be. John says, This is it. I see it. The former things have passed away. The new has come. The kingdom of God is all about the presence of Christ, and Jesus Christ will be with us physically. We will see him with our own eyes. And then we ask questions like, Well, how's that going to be? Right? And my response to you is, I have no idea. I just know John says it's true, it's trustworthy, it is is certain, and it's going to happen. And I think some of the reason why we ask how, I think some of the reason why we want to know how that's going to work, not that that's not unimportant or things like that, but it distracts us from the real question. The real question is, why doesn't the presence of God in Christ Jesus resonate with us more right now? Because why would you want Christ in the future if you really don't want Christ now? Do you hear that? Because if you don't want Christ now, you don't know how good it is, and therefore you really don't care about whether or not you get Christ in the future. The real question is, why don't we want more of Christ now? And the answer is in this passage. And the reason we don't want Christ more now is because we're focused on the former things. We're getting all caught up in the old things, the things that will pass away. They can be good things, they can be bad things, but ultimately they're the things that are going to pass away. If they're good, they're going to be transformed and renewed. If they're bad, they're going to be destroyed But the reason why we don't want Christ more now and the reason why we're not really looking for more of Christ later is because we're being caught up in all these former things. And they can be different for all of us, but they all boil down to the ways of the world. Boils down to the the, the battle with our own flesh. Boils down to the devil, the former things. And, and, And we don't say it out loud and I mean this with all gentleness, and I and I speak to myself first, but we don't say it out loud, but in our actions, we say we want these former things more than we do want Jesus. As I was preparing for this sermon, I kept coming across this Lutheran scholar. I, I can't even pronounce his name. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but he's commenting on Paul's word, where, where you know where Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. He, 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 he comments on Paul's words, and he says it like this. To live is Christ, to die is more Christ. Christ. If the presence of Jesus Christ is the key to a new heaven and a new earth, then he's the key to experiencing that in the here and now. And don't you see how this should change our priorities, our our ideas of what is important and not important here? And listen, I realize it's hard because Jesus Christ isn't here physically. But that's what it means to live by faith. And the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. And if you think of heaven in terms of the presence of Christ, and you know how good Christ is, and you know what Christ has done for you, then you will want more of Him later, which will make you want more of Him now. Now, You've heard this said, right? Uh, about certain people that they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good you've heard that before or is it just me if you think in terms of heaven as being in the presence of Christ I've never met anybody like that in my life and I don't think the problem is that many of us are too heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good Because the fact of the matter is most of us are so earthly minded that we are of no heavenly good. To know Jesus Christ is to set your affections on Him. That means what you do here on this earth matters. It means what you think about in your spare time matters. It's setting your affections on Christ because to live is Christ and to die is more Christ. you know what the other option is? To live is me and to die is more me. And you might be confused right now thinking that's good, but I promise you it's not. Which leads to the last idea. To live as Christ, to die is more Christ, or to live is me, to die is more me. Our eternal inheritance, there is a lasting legacy for all of us. There are two futures depicted for us, and what we do now matters. And, and I know, I mean, there are all sorts of ways to say there are a lot more options for life Um, than just two. But really, there are just options within the, the two options. You are either thirsty, according to this passage, you are either thirsty, and God willingly gives life to you from the spring of the water of life, or you will choose your own path, and you will destroy yourself and others along the way. To the ones who are thirsty, these are the ones who conquer. These are, the, these are the ones who overcome. This is a reference all the way back to the beginning of Revelation, when when John or Jesus has John write these letters to the seven churches, and all those letters end with this admonition to those who overcome: "I will give life to to, to the ones who are thirsty." God says, "I will be His God." and you will be my child. It's the great promise that summarizes all that we have been talking about. It is, it's the one that encompasses the promises of a new home where you belong, where you feel at peace, where you feel at rest, where you love and are loved. It's where you sit face to face with Christ. And I want you to think in terms of this for, for this. When we're done with the sermon, we're all going to come up to the Lord's table and we're going to, we're going to eat with Christ by faith spiritually. I, I do encourage you, we're not only to, to remember Christ's work for us in the past as we come to the table, but we're to look forward to the future with Christ. So when you come to the table this morning, think about, yeah, you're going to get the bread and you're going to get the wine from, from a brother in Christ this morning. There will be a day when you will sit across the table with Jesus Christ and he will pass you that meal that's what this table is pointing us to that's for those who are thirsty and you can't get around it there are those who are not thirsty and they're not described very nicely cowardly faithless detestable murderers sexually immoral idolaters, sorcerers, and liars. I don't have time to go through all of these. But we realize, cowardly and the faithless, John is speaking to those who claim to follow Jesus Christ but betray that confession in the way that they live. That's the cowardly. The, the people that, that kind of like Jesus but are not willing to really love Jesus. The, the, the whole reference to liars here out the end, it's, it's not if you lie. Everybody's lied. I, I, I really, I, 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 I may be wrong, but I don't think there's anybody out here today that hasn't lied. It doesn't mean you're going to hell. A liar here, or, or, or is your life a lie? Are you pretending to be something that you're not? So, so, so in the big sense, if, if your desires for this life, these former things, lead you in the way of anger, which is nothing less than, than, than spiritual murder, or, or if you're living your life using sex as a tool to gratify your own pleasures, rather than as a blessing from God pointing us to what it means to love and be loved... Then the passage here says, God here says, you will experience the second death, the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. That's to live is me, and to live is more me. In, In other words, what we do matters now. There comes a time in everybody's life where a decision has to be made. You will either acknowledge your thirst for real life, for these things that we've been talking about, Or you'll say, I got this, I can do it on my own. And what you're really doing is choosing a path that's a living death. And you'll experience life without this community, without this love, and without the presence of Jesus Christ. The choice stands before us. And I I, I, I want to say it in these terms. You can ask all the sorts of questions that you want about what heaven's going to be like. And it's fine. But there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and it will be like a new Jerusalem. It will be a place where we can belong. It will be a place where we work side by side and we enjoy each other's company. It's a physical place where we will live, love, and enjoy. And it's a place where we will be perfectly loved and we will perfectly love other people. And God is there, and we will see Jesus Christ face to face, no longer by faith but by sight. And in the presence of Jesus Christ, we are strong. In the presence of Jesus Christ, there is no sin. In the presence of Christ, there is no tears, and there's no mourning, and there's nothing that 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 we won't experience and say, this is good. You see, this is what God is about even now. This is why Jesus Christ is come. This is why we preached a sermon sermon series on the kingdom of God. Because when Jesus came the first time, he said the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe. And when he comes the second time, he will say it is here. And you will enter into that kingdom. You will either enter into that kingdom of glory and power and you will rejoice or you will be cast out. And I don't want to know anybody that's not coming with me. See, the call this morning is to seek and to work for these things now. We're to seek and to work for a community that truly loves one another, a place where you can come in these doors and and we'll do the best that we can where you feel loved and you can love But we won't do it perfectly. But what will help us do it better is we will know that what we're yearning for now will come in the future. It is guaranteed. And the world needs that. Let's pray. Father, we yearn to live life in this way. I don't, I don't know of a man or a woman that doesn't want to be loved perfectly and that doesn't want to love better. I, I don't know a, a, of a man or a woman who, who doesn't want to experience life with other people where, where they can just be. I do pray that you would make us yearn for this in the future, that you would remind us of the the truth of what it is that we will have in the future. Not so that we can just leave, but so that we can better do this now. God, help us to love you and see Jesus more and more on this earth so that we will want more of Him in the days to come. Remind us to live as Christ and to die as more Christ. Work in our hearts even as we come to this table and remember what it is you've done to look forward to what it is you will do. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.